those who are here last week, just say thanks, Pastor Soul. Because that message is about an hour long, an hour and a half, and I didn't keep you guys here. So we're going to continue today. You know, sir, you owe me like at least a Burger King or something, you know. <laughs> but anyway, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. We started uh, looking at Acts chapter 16, and that's what we're going to complete this morning. Acts chapter 16, I'm gonna, not going to read it, but really it talks about Paul, the Apostle Paul, his second missionary journey. And in the story there, you pick up Paul... And his friends and those that were with him, they were setting out to go to a mission, mission trip. And they were going to go to Asia. And somehow along the way, the Lord would stop them and say, hey, get turn around. And they ended up in a city called Philippi. And, um, and where you get the book of Philippians. That's the letter that Paul wrote to that church in Philippines. And so this was um, Paul's second missionary trip. And as he was there, he met this woman. Her name was Lydia. And Lydia listens to what Paul was talking about. And the Bible says that God opened her heart to what Paul was talking about. And she became a believer. And then the Bible says that Lydia got her and her household were baptized. And they all came to the Lord. And a lot of things happened. It's exciting. Paul and his friends decide to stay in that city for a little while. And then, um, but unfortunately, something happens that wasn't so cool. Paul as he's preaching and excited about what God's doing in the city, finds this woman. She was a slave, and uh, she had a demonic spirit in her. And that demonic spirit had the, was causing the woman to be able to foretell uh, the future. And so her masters would take advantage of it and make a lot of money using her to make money. So she came to Paul, and the annoying spirit, every time they'll come close to Paul, the spirit will start talking. I was like, these guys are from God. Da, 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 da. You know, I don't know, because the Bible says Paul was really annoyed. So I'm imagining it wasn't like a very smooth, uh, this guy. Because what is she said? It probably was very, very getting to your skin. And Paul turned around, looked at the woman, and rebukes the spirit and says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Woman was set free. But guess what? Somebody wasn't very happy. The masters. They lost all the money that they were making. Before you realize it, they crafted a few stories, got rallied a few tri- troops, and they, Paul and Silas find themselves in jail. How many ever tried to do something good, and then it backfires on you? And just when you feel like things are starting to get better and exciting, you know, uh, you get hit on a Another side. It can't feel, it can't seem to catch a break. It's like, oh man, it was just looking really good. And bang, get hit. You know, we sometimes, maybe you're in your life right now. You're in a situation like that. It's like, I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying all that I know how to do. And you feel like the more you try, the more you get hammered on this side, hammered on the left. And you keep on feeling, maybe getting discouraged. But God, I want to tell you today, Paul and Silas got into that situation. And at night, the Bible says, you know, they are in prison. Instead of starting getting upset with God, says, well, you're the one that told us to go preach the gospel. You're the one that, you know, I was doing all that God was telling me to do. You know, instead of coming up with stuff and discouraging, they decide, okay, we can't do anything. We're in here right now. What are we going to do? They just begin to praise. Come on. The Bible says at midnight, they're still going on. They're singing hymns and praises to God. All the prisoners are listening. You know, you might be in a prison type situation this morning and you need to turn your praises up. Because something happens when we praise. You know, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people. Like when His people come together and begin to praise, the Bible says that's the place that God wants to be in. You wonder why I get so crazy about praise. Why I sing like I do. You need to sometimes, the enemy is taking you down. It's like, okay, I'm cool. I'm not denying. Paul and Silas knew very well they were in prison. 
But they chose nonetheless that they're going to praise. That's a guy that said that I'm pressed on every direction, but I'm not Christ. I am persecuted, but not abandoned. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Why? God is with me when I praise. And you need to praise through your circumstance this morning. And let God be glorified in your circumstance. Because praise ushers in the presence of God. And when God comes in your situation, things begin to change. Amen? So the Bible says that as they were praising that the very foundations of the prison were broken. The chains that were binding them were loosed. All the gates were open, and they didn't stop. They kept on praising. And maybe things are bind- you feel like you're bind- things are binding in your life. You can't seem to catch a break. Praise anyway. Like David said, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will bless him at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. In my good times, in my bad times, I'm still going to praise the Lord. Amen? And when you praise, you invite God in your situation. Amen? At midnight, they were still going on. So the story goes on and says that the jailer that was instructed to make sure that Paul and Silas would not escape, looks around, calls in for light, and he sees that all the gates are wide open, all the prisoners have been loosed, and he's about to, to take his sword and kill himself. He's thinking, I am going to end up in a bad situation, not realizing that all the prisoners were still in there. And Paul says, hey, don't do that to yourself. You stop it. We are all in here. Guess what? The, it, it, the, the jailer says, oh, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> what must I do? And Paul says, hey, listen, all you got to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household will be saved. And the Bible says that he got saved. All his household were baptized with him. I think about that story. The, 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 the prison that was meant to destroy Paul's life, that was supposed to discourage him, that was supposed to cause them to give up. They've been pressing in, and now, you know, this is a little too much. It becomes a door to yet not only one individual, but a whole household coming to the Lord. See, Lydia was the first convert by Paul on European soil. Up until that point, the gospel was spreading after the Lord's resurrection around the Middle East. It was in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. All those places were around the Middle East. But God kind of redirected them to a new continent. And the gospel, Christianity, was spread from Europe like no other place. And, but Paul, they had, I, be, I guarantee you, they had no idea that what they were doing would have such impact and shape the world's future. The impact of Christianity over the years to come was awesome. I want to encourage you this morning. You might find yourself also in a place where you feel like things just, you can't catch a break. I said that earlier. But what the enemy had intended to destroy you. The Bible says what the enemy intends for evil, God will turn it around for the good of those who love him. That he causes all things to work for good for those who love the Lord. You might be in a hard place right now, but don't you worry. You turn your praise on, give the enemy a double punch back. I'm going to praise him every time. And what was meant to destroy you and put you down will lift you and encourage you and pull you up. Whatever was supposed to kill you will give you new life. Amen. In Jesus' name. So the Bible makes it very clear that God's desire was for the households to be saved. I love that part. That it says for Lydia, both the Lydia and both for the jailer. That not only did they get saved, but their household followed along. Now the word used in both instances, the, it's a Greek, the Greek translation is actually the word oikos. Now and I'm not talking about the Greek yogurt. But oikos meant, it basically it translates, uh, loosely it translates, it's family, it's household. But when we think in our American context and our time, when we think household, we think uh, your, your immediate family. When they want to figure out, oh, what's the average income for the household? What's the average education level for the household? We think in those terms. But the oikos, it was, a base, it was the basic uh, social unit for, the, for every Jewish state in those times. And people lived, it's people that lived, yes, the immediate family, some families had slaves and workers and everything. People and their lives revolved around an oikos. It could be a number of people. And basically, if we were to translate it in our times, it's people that we see every day. We see them at least a couple of times in the week. And what I'm submitting to you this morning, that the promise of God is not just for you. It's for all those that are in our household. 
Your household might be just, you might be living in an apartment on your own. But that's not your household, according to what we are reading here. The household is people that you connect with, people that you work with, people that you see every day, people that are part of your everyday life. You don't need an appointment to talk to them. You would see him. You know, but by the time we come back together next Sunday, you are going to see him one or two times. That's the alcohol. God wants our oikos to come to him. Amen? And I think that uh, in, let me go back um, and read a verse to you here. In that story that I narrated, chapter 16, speaking up at verse 4, I think here comes a key of what really happened and what triggered the household to be saved. Verse 14, it says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple for this, from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come at my house and stay. So she persuaded us to go. And I think the key is right there, verse 15. It says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come at my house and say, and so she persuaded us. Now, I think there's something here that we need to learn. That um, um, I have grown up, I was brought up and grown up in Kenya, Eastern culture. I, most of my adult life I've lived in America. So I'm a man of two cultures. And I see both cultures many times. And I'll tell you one of the things that I notice in our culture is that our houses are not very open for people. We would do anything to avoid people coming to our house. Not everyone, by and large. And that's culturally. But Lydia comes in here, and she actually persuades. They had other plans. You know, they were there for a mission, and they had other plans. But she says, well, hey, hey, wait a minute. If you say that what happened in my life was real, and you believe I'm a, bro- I'm a sister, and you believe that I, 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 I love the Lord, I'm faithful to the Lord, I'm a disciple of Christ, then you all come and stay at my house. And so the rest of the time, they stay there. Then because... Lydia even went out of her way to ensure that that happened. I tell you, I can tell you a story, and I think, I, I, I look at my life, and I have many of you that have heard my story, you know how I came to the Lord. And it actually happened because someone invited me to their house. And it was a small group going on at someone. His name was Dr. Tom Bosiri. He was a medical doctor, and he led a small group, and his wife was a medical doctor. So their house was better than our house. Yeah, it was. And you know, I remember, I remember the time and we were rotating the groups. And uh, one of the time, you know, it would be one month at one house, another month at another house, another month at another house. And it came time for it to be at our house. And I was a kid, so it wasn't my house, it was my parents' house. But I remember feeling embarrassed about it. Think, man, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know if and my parents are like, okay, you can have the group here, you know. So, but it's some of those things. But I think at one point in my life, um, and I've shared this story. I'm going to do quick. But uh, sometime in, at one point in my life, my sister Veronica was leading a different group. I was leading a group. My brother Sam was here somewhere around here. He was leading. He was in a group as well. And my now sister-in-law, <laughs> married to my brother Peter, was the leader of that group. And sometimes we'll have a week where all of our groups were meeting at our house. And so we'll have three groups at our house. And you know what? I thank my parents for allowing that to happen. You know, you never, I, when I look back, when it was happening, I wasn't thinking. But when I look back, I realize there was a lot of prayer going on at our house. Whenever we got together, opening the word of God, whenever we were praying and worshiping and talking to each other and encouraging each other, there was a lot of stuff happening at our house. And when God's people meet together, the Bible says two or three in my name, he says, right there, I am in the midst of them. And I think we are, became a complete benefactors of the presence of God in our house all the time. And my, our parents were not believers. But how else would they have seen the changes happening in the kids' lives? 
And when they saw what was happening in our lives, Sam, Peter, Veronica, myself, and so they're seeing this, they started to be compelled. And they would come to church with us. And they gave their hearts to the Lord. And they were loving God. And they, they, our household was saved. All because our house was open for God's word, for God's people to come and fellowship. The word of God was being opened many times. Prayers were being prayed many times. We weren't thinking what was happening. But I can look back and I promise that it was, if it wasn't for that, I don't know that we would have all come to the Lord. But it opened the doors in ways that we didn't realize. Amen. And God, I think Lydia's key, she just wanted to hear. She wanted more. And guess what? When Paul, Silas, uh, Luke was there, you know, they were talking. Every day they're talking about Jesus. Like, you know, it was so awesome what he did. And, and as they're talking, seeds were being planted. And you see, 10 years later, there was a strong, vibrant church in the continent of Europe started in the city of Philippi. And the church started at Lydia's house. When Lydia was telling Paul this, come to my house, she was not thinking about planning a church. Hello? She was just thinking about, come on, let's, let's, let's fellowship. I want to hear more. I, I, want, I want you guys to teach me more of the word. You know, that's what she was thinking. But yet it was in God's divine plan to advance his kingdom. The book of uh, Philippians, I encourage you to read it on your own. Go read it. You will see that this is one of the most beloved churches for Paul. Some of the promises that says that my God will supply all your needs according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus in the book of Philippi. Philippians. Philippians, oh my goodness, I can't even remember the book. But I tell you, God used this church to send missionaries, and they were such a generous church. In fact, they were giving so much that Paul had to come in and just write a special letter and say, you know, you guys are doing a fantastic job of generosity. He says, no church in all, no church has given more than you. And they played a significant role in global evangelization. And they had no idea at the time when they were doing it. They were just simple and letting the Lord do only what the Lord would do. So, <clears throat> this was not new. See, this was not a new concept. I want to take you back to Acts chapter 2 where I asked you to open. Let's read from verse 38. When the church began, you would see the same pattern going on. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The Bible says that Peter said to them, this is after the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God moved in the people, 120 people were meeting in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were baptized in the Spirit, and something significant happened in the city. People came to watch what was going on, because the power of God was manifested in a prayer room. Then Peter comes out and starts talking to a group of people. And he says, then Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, look at this, is to you, your children, and to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. See, from the very beginning, God's intent was the promise was for you, for your children, for as many, those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You don't know the person you touch this week, the person that you encourage, the person that you invite to church to come along with you. You don't know what you just started. And it might not be them. It might be their children or their friends. It's part of their oikos, if you would. Your circle of influence. Have you ever watched a show that says six degrees of separation and they're trying to figure out, well, we are all connected by three, six relationships. If you start, you know, and they'll take like a boxer from the Philippines and uh, a clerk from uh, some other continent. And, they, they, and they, as they start searching their lives, they realize they could, they could prove that within six relationships, we are all connected. And so God is not called. When he says go to the world and make disciples of all nations, I don't think he's calling all of us to fly to South America or to go to Africa and to preach the gospel. No, I think he's just saying, you affect your oikos, and they will affect their oikos, and their oikos will affect our oikos, and with the six degree of separations, guess what? The whole world will be affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why I believe that the last days is going to be better. 
Things are going to get tougher. Things are going to get worse. But yet the Bible says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your whole men shall dream dreams. God's promise is that the latter rain will be greater than the former rain. When things begin to get bad, I get more excited because I know that where sin abounds, grace even abounds more. When it seems like it's crazy, that's when the spirit of God moves more. Amen. And he's not calling us to do anything supernatural, magnificent, although it would be supernatural and magnificent. He's calling us to simplicity and just touching our oikos, our sphere of influence. So Peter goes on, picking up at verse 40, and he says, With many other words he testified and exhorted, exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Wow. Talk about uh, an altar call. 3,000 souls were added to them in just one day. And they, here's what they say. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking bread, and in prayer. And fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the hands of the apostle. You know, I believe that sometimes we have a weakness... Uh, because we live, the, one of the weaknesses of living in the era, in the dispensation of grace, is that sometimes we get lazy. Let me clarify what I'm saying. We live in a time where God has done so much for us that we don't have to put any effort whatsoever. And we run the risk sometimes of being lazy. Because salvation is free. It's a free gift from God. You don't have to earn it. You just have to accept it and receive it. Forgiveness, you don't have to, to, to do great works to prove to God anything. You can't prove nothing for God. But he gives you a free gift. Whosoever shall believe, he says, oh, he will be saved. Whosoever shall call, he will be saved. And so because we do that, the way I would like to think about it is this way. It's like a kid growing up in a family that's well off, where they have a lot of money. What's their motivation to go to school to get an education? It's not that they make more money because they can inherit the money. But they still do, the ones that are wise. Why? Because it helps them grow and be all that they can be. Because every individual has been created with a purpose, has been called with a purpose. So it's really not about the money. If you grow up in a, ch- in a family where there was not a lot of money, when you're motivated to go, hey, hey, you need to, kid, you got to study hard. Because you need to pay your bills. <laughs> You're not going to live in my basement. You've got to go get yourself a degree and get something, you know. But if that's not a need, what's the motivation then for an education? Because you still get one if you're wise. Why? Because you have to fulfill your purpose in life. And it's not about money. Say, it's not about money. And I think the same concept should, applies with our Um, lives as believers in the New Testament because grace has been given to us. The Lord Jesus Christ did so much for us. He died on the cross and he said it is finished. All you got to do is come to him with a sincere heart and repent of your sin. And he says that whosoever shall repent, when you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you repent, he will forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. We can come. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how far, how deep you've dug your hole in. If you come to God with a sincere heart, he's always with open arms. That's why Jesus died on the cross this way. He's always ready for some that wants to come to him. And that is a great and awesome gift. The danger is that we can get lazy. But here it says that they were devoted. They were devoted in prayer. They were devoted in the word, in the apostles' doctrine, is the teaching of the word. They were devoted in the word. They were devoted in prayer. They were devoted in fellowship. Think about devotion to fellowship. Devotion to fellowship. That's what Lydia did persuading them to come and fellowship with her. Not looking for, oh, well, today it was 102 degrees. I can't come. It has to be 98.9 degrees outside for it to be the time I can come and meet with you. You know, we want to line up everything to be together. But they were, she was persuading them to fellowship. They said they were connected. They were devoted to fellowship. They were connected to prayer. They were connected to the word. They were devoted it's one thing to pray. It's another thing to be devoted to prayer. 
It's one thing to read one or two verses in the Bible. It's another thing to be devoted to the word of God. It's one thing to meet a brother or two one, every once in a while, twice a year, and you know, say, hey, let's go have some coffee. But it's another thing to be devoted to one another. I remember growing up among Muslims. Uh, you know, Kenya had like 10 uh, percent Muslims uh, population. And in the coast where Sharon and Howard work there ministry-wise, it's like 80, 90 percent Muslim. And I remember the church, there was a church uh, near my neighborhood that the pastor there had let, uh, they had a key that was open. And people that wanted to pray any time of the day can go and pray. Even if you don't go there to church. And so, and we knew where the key is. The people that came to pray knew where the key is. And a buddy of mine, his name was Alex. He was my prayer partner. And we used to come and pray in the morning. And you know what? Next to the church was a Muslim mosque. And in the morning, they have this call to prayer. It is absolutely annoying. Because they put a loudspeaker and they big this Arabic, Arabic words. That's like, call the Muslims to pray. Five in the morning, it would be so loud. And so one of the things that Alex and I would say, you know what? We're going to go beat the Muslims. <laughs> and we would start praying in the spirit and just, you know, it was like, you know, we'll be there earlier. If they're there at 5, we're going to be there at 4.30. And we'll rebuke every demonic spirit. And, uh, and you know, sometimes the guy will get on the, on the loudspeaker and the thing, he will choke and something will just go, you know, and, and we will just give each other five. Yeah, we did it, you know. So <laughs> we would pray. But I think, uh, the thing I want to tell you is that I saw in observing Muslims is that their devotion is second to none. They are absolutely committed and devoted to the Quran and the teaching of Quran. And there is religion without life. We, in the other hand, we don't have to work that hard. But if we turn our devotion a little bit, God is not just with us. God is in us. Jesus did. He conquered the grave. When believers just get even a smidget of the devotion that Islam, Muslim did, the world will be turned around upside down. The power of God will be realized. People will be saved in our city. If we see, read 3,000 souls, you're like, that would be a piece of cake. Because Lincoln will have a revival if a people in Lincoln, Nebraska, 5001 South Pass, decide that we are going to be devoted to God in prayer, in the word of God, in fellowship, in with one another. If we make that commitment, this city of Lincoln will be turned around and be called the city of our God in Jesus' name. We don't need that much effort. We just need to be devoted to the Lord because the power of God, the Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Look at what happens as you go on. Amazing. This is just phenomenal. Verse 44. It's so now all the believers were together and had all things in common. And, they saw their, and, and, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had needed. Let me just pause. Well, this is not communism here. <laughs> they sold their homes. They weren't told to sell their homes and their property. Okay. <laughs> I got a little political. Jeesh. No. It's not, you know, but they, what, what, the thing was happening, they were so committed to each other, and they said that, listen to verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Again, and the Lord added to the church on Sunday mornings those who are being saved. Daily. That means God was adding people on Monday. God was adding people getting saved on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays, on Thursday, on Friday. And they said they did not neglect. They went from, from the temple and from house to house. Do you know the statistics in America? They are saying right now, we, it's the lowest church attendance habits. In, Amer in the American church. They say a regular believer is attending church once or twice a month. Once or twice a month. And it is not without impact. There is a reason God set the pattern of the seven-day week. 
Six, mile, six days, one will, walk, one will walk. Seven days, they shall rest. There's a reason God does that. Because in the house of the Lord, when we are planted, you, 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 get, you get the word. And it's not every day you're not going to have a miracle. As you would. But it's the seeds that are planted. It's a marathon, people. It's not a sprint. It's not getting a fix for the day. But these guys, not only, they didn't neglect the meeting together in the temple. In addition to that, they were meeting house to house. And he says there was simplicity about them. They shared their food with gladness. There was joy about them. And guess what? They were praising God. And as they were showing the love of God, the way they loved each other, the Bible says that you shall know that they are my disciples by the way they love one another. So it was visible that the Bible says they had favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. It tells me that more people are getting saved in the week than they were on Sunday morning. More people are coming to the Lord because of the way the believers lived with each other than they were on Monday. The six weeks that they were out there, but in the house to house, they were coming to the Lord. You see, the story uh, we read earlier in chapter 16, this is several chapters after, was in Europe. In the Middle East, that was sort of like culture. It was easy. People sort of eat together. People sort of come together. That was part of the culture. Meeting from house to house was not a big concept. But Lydia triggered something in a new continent, not even knowing what she was doing. But because of what she did, revival broke out. Christianity was never meant to be an individual faith. The Word of God was never designed to be just a one-man thing. Yes, we need, our, we need to have our own time with the Lord. But we need to also work, work together. You see what the scripture says? That there is a blessing when people work together in unity. Well, Psalm 133. That there is, you know, unity brings blessings. But the Bible says where there is unity, God actually commands a blessing. I want God to command something in my life. I don't just bless you because you sneezed. I want God to command a blessing in my life. And if you want God to command a blessing in your life, you've got to walk with unity with other believers. Because you create an atmosphere where God can say, I like what's going on here, and I'm going to command a blessing. And when what God calls blessed, no man can cast. When God says, boy, you are blessed, nobody can reverse that in Jesus' name. So they continued. I think our problem as sometimes, is that we make it. Number one, today, as I close, this is my first closing. We need to make it, (laughs) we need to make it about people. Because God is all about people. And sometimes, we make it about things. We make it about money. We make it about other things. We don't make it about people. I told you when I, I, when I was kind of embarrassed and the small group was supposed to come at my house, you know. Because, you know, what I was thinking is like, well, my parents were not that cultured. So our furniture was a little outdated. And you think, oh, man, this is embarrassing. Everybody's going to see our house, and it's not that cool. But, you know, once you get through that past, people are not thinking about that. We make it up our, ourselves. And guess what? We make it about things because we compare. He said, well, Gary has a good house. He can host people. Of course, I don't have a house like that. I'm going to believe God for the next 25 years to get a house like Gary so that I can have people. And you never have people over. So I talk, I did a, couple, a couple weeks ago, I talked to a friend of mine, a close friend, and, uh, and his wife. And they, uh, let me just put it that way, they, they are well off financially, and they don't live in Lincoln. So don't try to guess, who was that guy, Pastor Saul, I was talking about? <laughs> They don't live in Lincoln. And they're just sharing with us how lonely they have been. These guys love the Lord. They are a gift to the local church. And they've done, they've done very well financially. But they were very lonely because they said, you know, they would reach out to people at church. They would have group at their house. They would invite people. And nobody, not a single person ever invited them over. And they know that it's probably because they have this gorgeous house. And people think, well... I don't want them to come to my house, you know. You know and, but people are not thinking that. God doesn't care. We make it about things, and we start comparing. 
It's like, oh, I'm not that. I don't clean my house. I'm going to have to clean my house. Yeah, motivation to clean once is not bad. <laughs> I have toddlers. I have, uh, <laughs> when you have toddlers in your house and little bit, you know, sometimes the books that you're reading end up under the couch. They are coming. But all those little things are words that the enemy uses to keep the blessing that ought to be ours from coming to us. The prayers that are going to be prayed at your house, they might even be, not be prayers for you. You might be just praying for the sister that was going through it. But when you're calling out on the name of the Lord, the presence of God is in your house. Not a, pr- not a single prayer that the, from God's people goes unnoticed. And we need to break that I felt bad for my friends, but they knew exactly. They didn't grow up with money. He grew up in a village in Kenya. So it's not like he would be surprised by anything he sees. It's about people. It's not about things. It's not about money. When we do that, we are getting the enemy to win. He wins another battle and he says, yes. Yes, I won. Discipleship, my second closing, is about relationship. God is about relationship. It's not about even how good, how well you have memorized the Bible, how many scriptures you can see with your eyes closed. It's not about that. It's about relationship. We were meant to connect. People are like Logos. Legos. Logos is the word of God. We are like Legos. We come in different shapes. We come in different sizes. We even come in different colors. But there's something that's common with these pieces of toys that I step on every once in a while more <laughs> at my house. But we are, connect, we are designed to connect. Connect on the top, connect on the bottom. Connect with God, connect with people. And when we are connecting top and bottom, we fulfill God's purpose and we can make beautiful, beautiful things. I went to a Lego store in Chicago with my kids over Christmas time, and it was absolutely phenomenal, the stuff that they build out of Legos. And when we make that devotion like those guys did, that they were committed to one another, and all we care about is connecting up top. We are always connecting up top. Connecting with God is a priority in our lives. And then we connect other people to us who we try to connect them to God. Our goal is always, how can I connect them to God? And when we do that, we are beautiful. That's discipleship. That's God's design. That's God's plan. It's about people. Loving God. Loving people. Connecting with God, connecting with people. And we have to come against all the things that divide us in order to see God's kingdom realized in our city and in our time. So my last closing, number three. We need to change the culture norms and not be slaves of it. I think for Lydia, it wasn't a cultural norm. To have people over at their house to come and stay for that man. The Middle East where the Christianity started, it was. But they broke the culture. Oftentimes, we become slaves of culture. We try to become what we think will be cool, what will look good. And in trying so, so much, we'll lose, out, we'll lose out on what really, we'll lose out on life, really. I remember watching, uh, um, uh, I remember watching uh, Seinfeld once. <coughs> And there was this uh, episode where George Costanza, so frustrated with his life, trying to prove, you know, he always acts, you know, whatever. Uh, and uh, he was just tired of everything wasn't working out for him. And he just decided that he's gonna, he can't get a lady, he can't get what, he can't get a job, everything was awful. And he says, I'm going to do opposite of everything I've ever tried. 
And he met at this beautiful lady and says, you know, when he introduced himself to him, he says, you know, uh, I am unemployed and I live with my parents. And he got a date. It's like, boy, all this time I've been trying to be someone else and I lose that. And the more I became myself, things started working for me. I thought, geez, Seinfeld? Yeah. But you know, God speaks through many different things. We need to get all the walls broken in our lives. We need to be who we are. And I'll tell you, if you're new to City Church, we are about authenticity. We're not a people that are perfect people. If you get to know a few people, you'll find out they, were not, they are not perfect. <laughs> Just spend about five minutes with some. But one thing I can, I can guarantee you is this. We are in pursuit of God. We love God authentically. We're not about religion. We're about relationship with God and relationship with one another. And I believe that one thing that we need to break through is the breakthrough of our homes, opening our homes for one another. I've talked many, many times about the importance of small groups. And I always reiterate, it's not about programs. It is not about programs. It's about the relationship and what God does through relationship when God's people walk with each other. Last week, I gave you guys a book, the Go book. How many would say they did something with someone this week in their oikos? Just raise your hand. Hey, come on, stand up. Let me see. Stand up if you did it. You did it with something. Come on, stand up. We want to acknowledge you and thank you for doing it. Stand up if you did it with somebody. Good. How many at least talk to someone and says, you know what? I have this book I'd like to do it with you. And let's do some little Bible study. Then they didn't respond. Stand up if you did that. Come on, stand up. Everybody, stay standing. Stay standing. Give him a hand. How many are saying, this week, you know what? I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to get somebody in my circle of influence. I'm going to do something. How many? Stand up. Stand up. Give him a hand. Give him some motivation this week. All right? I tell you, the bi- listen, listen to what the scripture says there. That they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Make it simple. Don't say, I got this program going on. It's like, you know, I've been, I, I'm really committing the next three weeks to get in the, in the Word of God, and I've got this book that I want you to read with me. Somebody in your oikos. Let's, let's do it together. Let's look at the scriptures together. And guess what? That's the impact. That's exactly what God wants. And I believe, uh, like Peter would preach, and 3,000 people would come to the Lord. But it wasn't that that kept the revival. It started something in the city, but it's the devotion of the believer that kept it. I'm excited to see Pastor Joe Austin coming to Lincoln. And I believe that's a Peter moment for us. Come on now. You know, God's given him a voice in our generation. A voice of grace, of, you know, liberating people's lives. And he speaks the word of God of encouragement to a lot of people. And I know people will come. Are we ready? For the people that would come. What if they don't look like you, talk like you, act like you, and they come in here, they're going to feel at home. So if you can't do this, you need to do it in the circle of influence because you might be like, hey, I'd like to call anybody and say, hey, Kenny, there's three guys that just came to the Lord. Could you do the go book with them, give them some foundation? And I was like, yes, sir, I'll be able to do it. Three weeks. In three weeks, I'll just study get three weeks to do this book with somebody else, not just me. You know, our problem sometimes, we think so much about ourselves because we think we're going to lose out because nobody else is looking out for me. If I don't look out for this guy, he's going to get forgotten. But the enemy wants exactly just that. Because when we give, the Bible says it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. As you're going and giving to others, God already knows your name, your address, what you need. Come on now. He knows. And he will bless you. Sometimes you won't even have to pray for something. You'd be praying for somebody else and God blesses you. Because the, the person that gives gets blessed better than the one that just receives. Let's stand up this morning. Did God speak to you today? Come on, give him praise. Give him praise. Come on, give him praise. Give him a clap offering here. In your bulletin, you got a bulletin, there's an insert in there. 
There's an insert in your bulletin. And it's actually, I think, came from uh, chapter um, uh, 6, I believe, or whatever chapter it is, in the Go book. And it's about my story. Come on. You see that? Do you have anybody have a bulletin? Do you see an insert? Okay. We want to hear your story. I've shared my story with you before of how I came to the Lord and all these things. And maybe what God is doing in your life right now. And uh, if I gave everybody an opportunity to come here and give their stories, how many? It'll be a few days before we left. But we want to hear your story. You see this beautiful box? Whoa. I think that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. There was a... <laughs> this box is going to be in the lobby. Okay? It's going to be in the lobby the next couple of weeks. I want to hear... We want to hear your story. Okay? Give us your story. As you go through the book, it talks about my story. It's one of the chapters. If you don't have a book, as you walk out, there are some. The ashes will give you some. Okay? Um, uh, and... It's going to be in the lobby. Put your stories in, all right? Put your stories in. Let's share our story. Let's give the enemy a double punch and remind him that we have been saved, we have been sanctified, we have been delivered, we are new because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Come on now. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you are an amazing God. You are absolutely wonderful. Words cannot describe who you were. We cannot comprehend. Uh, we don't have the capacity in our minds to comprehend your glory. But we thank you in your magnificent glory that you have loved us with an everlasting love. And you demonstrated your love to us. That even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will move in our city in Lincoln, Nebraska, in this season and in this time. We ask that the Spirit of God will move in our city. Anoint us, God, to affect, oh God, our oikos, our sphere of influence. Help us to touch somebody this week. Help us to, to, to be a light and a witness for you this week. In the name of Jesus, I pray blessings on every home in, represented here this morning. I pray that you will open up your word, your presence over every home. We pray blessing and favor in every home in the name of Jesus. As we continue to pray, I want every eye closed right now in the presence of God. If you are here this morning and you have never invited Jesus into your life, you say, you know, I need a fresh start from God. I want a new beginning with God. I want to start a new life. I want to give Jesus my heart today. I want you to raise your hand where you are. I have my eyes open because I want to pray a special prayer for you. Jesus died for you. He loves you. And today he wants to come into your life. If that's you and you're hearing me and you know it's you, you need to, you, you, need, you say, God, I, 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 I want you. I want Jesus. I want God in my life. I want Jesus in my life. Raise your hand right now. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Anybody else? I'm watching because I want to pray a special prayer before we go on for you. And you might be here today and maybe you've known the Lord. You've served the Lord. But right now in your life, you're not walking with him. And you're saying, Lord, I want to come back to you. I want a fresh beginning with you, God. I want you in my life. I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to see him. Give you one moment, and I'm going to pray. Anybody. Just indicate by your hand where you are. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Church, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Repeat with me this prayer. Pray with the one that raised their hand. God knows exactly where they are. Father, I pray. Let us pray this prayer. Said, Father, in Jesus' name. I come to you today. Just as I am. Just as I am. I know that you died for my sins. I know that you died for my sins. And I received Jesus into my life today. And I received Jesus into my life today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Come into my life. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. I commit to live for you. From today forward. To the rest of my life. In Jesus, name. in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You prayed that with sincerity, Christ is in your life. Amen. And we could give God glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The worship team, they're going to lead us in a few, a few songs of worship. We're going to worship the Lord. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to pray. And we're going to dismiss the service. Here's what I want to tell you. Um, uh, these folks you see on the side here are here to pray. If you need to pray with someone during the worship time, have someone pray with you. But I'm going to tell you a second thing. These altars are open. 
where you just want to pray, have time with God. During the next few songs, you're gonna be, it's going to be open. If you don't want someone to pray for you, when you go to the altar, it's not like you have trouble. You just want to spend time with God. And these altars are going to be open during the next couple songs for people to pray and to have time with God, all right? So as we worship, you might be here today. Now when I was praying, you feel like things in your life, you feel like suppressed on every side. Today you need to praise, you need to turn your praise to a new level today and invite God into your situation, amen? As a leader in worship, all right, come on. You are always fighting for us. Heaven's angels all Altars are open. My delight is found in knowing that you wear the victor's crown. You're my help and my defender. You're my savior and my friend. By your grace I live and breathe to worship you. At the mention of your greatness, in your name I will bow down. In your presence, fear is silent, for you wear the victor's crown. Let your glory fill this temple, let your power overflow. By your grace I live and breathe to worship. 